0: Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, good morning. Some nice time in worship. Would you agree? It's good to come together to sing and to sweat a little bit. I was sweating a little bit down there, which is good because in another uh, couple of weeks, you know, we're going to be in the ice capsule. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. They say it's an El Nino year. I haven't met that person before, but that's a bad joke. I'm sorry supposed to be a little bit warmer, but I I don't know. We'll see how it all works out. We are here in Ohio, so anything is possible. Hey, all things are possible in the state of Ohio. You know that's our motto, right? With God, all things are possible. That's great. Hey, so this morning we're going to start a new set of talks. And it's titled, What Would You Do? Faithfulness in trying times. Now, if you've lived for more than 30 seconds, you know that we live in a time that is trying. There are difficulties in our life. Yet, we have been called as sons and daughters of the Most High God to live a life of faithfulness. To live a life of trust. And so we're going to be looking at a few of what the Bible has kind of given us as people that we see take this challenge, this question of what would you do to the next level maybe. As a way for us to look at our own lives and see how we can drill down and answer this question for ourselves. Because here's the thing, what what would you do? Where would you go? How would your life look? Or would it look any different at all? If we really knew that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, what would you do if you knew that God's presence was always with you no matter what. What would you do? You see, as Christians, we, we know these statements, that they're true. But often we fail to apply them in any concrete way. Well, what would you do? What would I do if I knew? If I knew, knew, knew these things were true, how would my life look? You see, each week, this set of talks, we're going to unpack... As I said, the story of some biblical characters living as if God's promises are actually true. I hope you got your set of notes when you walked in this morning. Uh, Helps you jot some things down. And I believe it helps us to remember and put some of these things into practice. Today, we're going to be spending some time looking at the life of Abraham and the journey of faith and trust. That God put him on And I think as we do this I bet we're going to find out That there's a lot more of us here in this room That feel very similar That can relate to Abraham My ultimate hope for us today Is that God continues to speak to you and I Regarding our trust in him And that we're encouraged to pursue this question even more of what what would you do? Not what are you doing currently? Not what measure of faith or what measure of trust or what activation do you have in your life right now? But what would you do? What would you do? I ask this question to a lot of young adults because I've spent a lot of time around young adults And I feel it's a question that really helps to challenge their life But what would you do if you knew you could not fail? It's a compelling question What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And for those of us that are older in the room, you're like Well, that's not really reality, Pastor Michael Because you know what? You should probably ask the question What happens if it doesn't go well? I hope to change that perspective Because I don't believe that's the perspective That God has called you and I to That's a natural response to the life that we live The supernatural response is the one that says What would I do if I believe God was always with me And he was always working things out together For the good of those that that are called and love him According to his purpose That's a different perspective, isn't it? That's a different expectation. For this, as I said, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. And to set this up a little bit, we need to have an understanding of what's going on in Abraham's life. You see, Abraham is with his wife, Sarah. His nephew, Lot, and his father, Terah, and they're headed to Canaan. And the scripture tells us briefly that just before they got to Canaan, they stopped in Haran. And they'd wind up settling there for some time. And it's in this time that Terah, Abraham's father, dies. And I think it's important for us to not skip over this very human element You see, if you've had to deal with loss in any kind of capacity, particularly somebody that's close to you, it's rather derailing. It's rather all-consuming. It takes a moment of your life. In many circumstances, in that time in grief, we can wane in our faith and in our trust, and we ask a lot of questions. And it's a very real, and it's a very understandable position. You see, we were not made to handle death. We were not made to handle anything other than a perfect existence. And so anything that comes against that gives us trouble, gives us stress, How do I know that? Well, I, like many of you, believe that the creator of the universe, God, Jehovah, created a world originally that was perfect and it was good. If he had meant it to be a different way for us to be able to tread through the grief and pain of loss, we would have started that way. So Abraham is in this situation where he's moved up with his family, his nephew, whom for just the record, he doesn't really like all of that much. Maybe you have one of those yourself. And as the leader of the home, the family, his father passes away. And if we could kind of put ourselves just kind of there for a second... He might be asking himself in this moment. Well, what do I do now? What do I do now? Like I was following my dad. I was following the leader of our home. This is the way things were in this day and time. We followed the leadership of our home. Whether we understood what it was they were doing, agreed with it, or any such. We were following the leadership of our home and in this case his father passes away so we catch up with him here chapter 12 starting in verse 1 and it says now the Lord said to Abraham go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Side note. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, if we just read the text, we take the human element out of there, we suddenly begin to believe that Abraham is this amazing guy of faith and trust. And there's some good reasons that we may think that. We'll kind of get into them. But I just want to ask a real practical question here. I personally don't even like getting into the car when the person driving can't tell me where it is that we're going. I mean, ladies, can we be real? Can we be honest? When's the last time your husband said, get in the car, we're going? We're going to go pick up my nephew, pack your bags, grab your best friend. We're going for a ride. I'm guessing, I'm just going out on a limb here, but most of you ladies would go, well, where are we going? What would your response be if your husband looks back and go, I'll tell you when we get there? Some of you optimists would be like, ooh, this is romantic. Others of you would be like, "Uh, we've done this before and I don't like how it ended up. Uh, Am I, is this real? Is this real? Let's go. Some of you are going to be asking before I'm done talking, where are we going for lunch? And a terrible response is going to be, I don't know. What do you feel like eating? <laughs> you're hungry. You want to know where you're going. Am I right? And now, for the next 55 minutes, because that's how I, long I plan on preaching, you're going to be asking yourself, what do I want for lunch? I've been trying to stay healthy. A new year's coming up. Time for some new rhythms in life. But I don't really feel like it. I really like a burger. Winter's coming. I need to bulk up. <laughs> but this is the challenge. Let's go. We're going to go to a place. I'll show you when you get there. Let's be honest. Not many people just go along with this kind of reasoning. God is asking Abraham to once again pack up his whole life and move to an unknown destination based upon a promise that is humanly impossible. You see, it's not just about a place that he's going. It's about a circumstance that's going to take place within his wife, Whom she is humanly incapable of producing. The Bible tells us that she's barren. Yet God tells Abraham in this event. This whole thing that I'm calling you out to. You're going to be the father of many nations. In English that is a lot of kids. A lot of people. We know that there's some spiritual Context That's going on there It's not quite so cut and dry But do we know That Abraham knew that You want to know How I don't think he knew that Because he rebuts a little bit And he's like but my wife Is barren Somewhere in his Knower he has The idea his wife's going to get pregnant With a whole bunch of peeps (laughs) Through him That might have been the best part. They're married, so it's okay. But as we look at scripture, this seems to be a real pattern with God. God's got a thing for this kind of thing. It's somehow you and I as Christians, we act so surprised When God asks us to do something similar. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, he asked Abraham to pack his stuff up, get his wife together, pack some people up that he maybe liked, didn't like, and go to a place that he didn't know where he was going. How many of us in this room today would be like, get me on that retirement plan. I'm ready. We wouldn't And that's understandable You know one of the funnier statements That you hear people say in this time and day They're a real control freak Moment of confession Aren't we all to some degree A bit of a control freak I want to know where I'm going I'm not even so sure that I'm 100% on board all of the time when I know that it's God and he's like, do something crazy. It's like, really, can you just stop with this already? Can you ask me to do something normal for once? Does it always have to be a matter of complete trust and complete faithfulness? Do I always have to feel like I'm going to be standing there with all of my clothes off in front of a crowd of people? Can't I just for once feel like I have some say so in dignity? Some of you know what I'm talking about. This is not easy stuff. This is not natural. It's not natural. Even for the most adventure seeking people. These are difficult things. We need, when we read the scriptures, we need to stop and we need to look and we got to go, Abraham, like my, like could have been my dad. Could be me, Sarah. I mean, what do you think of when you think of these people? Oh, that was them. Well, they must have been awesome, they must have been amazing. They must have had some gifts that, well, I don't have. There must have been something about them that was extra special. Nowhere in the scripture does it talk about that. God comes to Abraham in a moment of real human depth. Maybe he's struggling. Maybe he's asking God. Maybe maybe the whole thing happened. You know, Abraham is like, Well, if there was a God, why would he let my dad die? Why am I here now? I have no idea where it is I'm going. I have a family. I have all these people looking at me now because I'm now the patriarch, and I don't know what to do. Abraham was called to accept God's leading even when he wasn't sure where he was going, and at times... Our walk as believers will demand that we walk in faith through obedience without any additional knowledge. Something to notice also is that Abraham's previous relationship with God is almost unknown. Why does this matter? Oftentimes when we look At others, maybe we see God's done an amazing work in their life, and they start telling you about the crazy thing that they feel like God's calling them to do. And there's a big part of us that wants to leap into faith and be like, I'm with you, man. God's got this. You're going to do great. It's going to be amazing. But there's this small little piece that's remembering how they used to be. And you're going, hmm. You know... I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to watch, see how this plays out. It's a place for us to really encourage one another, but because we see the track record, we oftentimes want to hold some of that back a little. We don't want to appear foolish that we forwarded somebody in something that seemed kind of crazy. Based on the Genesis account, it seems that Abraham or Abram, as he's referred to in the beginning, God knew, he knew of God, but he had limited experience with him. So two things that that we see here that are going to carry us forward for the rest of this time together is number one, his willingness to immediately follow God. It does say something about Abraham's character, whether or not he felt like he didn't really have any choice. Maybe it was the best offer on the table for him at the time. We don't know exactly what propels Abraham to respond, but what we do know is how quickly. How do we know this? Well... If we read this in English, it just sounds like God comes to Abraham. He tells him, hey, this is what's going to happen. And Abraham starts to put the pieces together. He calls his financial advisor and he says, hey, listen, I need you to find me a place. I don't know where it's going to be, but just get on the interwebs and let's uh, put together a plan. Make sure I've got, you know, the transfers in the right place. Because you know, Sarah, she's not going to be happy. She's going to need to know that she's taken care of and all of this. And Lot, you know him. So just help me out here. I'll be calling you. I'll be in contact. This isn't what happens. This isn't what scripture tells us at all. If we track this into the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. On its face it looks just like that When God called him If you dig into this Hebrew has a way of Putting word pictures together And in this particular picture It tells us That it was actually while God is speaking Abraham already starts Making his moves He doesn't put a Business plan to get. He doesn't put any of that together. He just starts doing, just starts going. It's immediate. As he hears the voice of God, the translation would pretty much be. As he hears the voice of God. Now, for those of us sitting in this room, this is really important because isn't that where you find the place in your life where you have the most confidence in God? Where where you are willing to do just about anything. It's when you hear the voice of God, right? Because God knows how to speak to his kids. You know when it's God, he's talking to you. That's what the Bible says. My sheep will know my voice. So when God begins to talk to you, you identify this is God speaking. I I then, the best course of action for me is to start moving. Start whatever it is that he's asking you to do. Because here's what happens, and you've experienced this, I've experienced this, that when a day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, maybe a few years goes by, you remember that time you had with God and He was calling you, but you waited. You tried to get the plan together. You tried to make sure you looked smart. You didn't want to appear foolish. You needed as much support as you could get from your family and all the people around you. And before you know it, you're on the other side of that call and you're going, ah, maybe it was God. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Life's so different now. Maybe I was hearing things. Have you ever been there? There was a moment in time when you knew it was the voice of God and you would just go and you would do it. That's a very important Place Number two Is we see That his encounter with God Became his great Source of motivation That's so important for you and I I have so many Different things that motivate me But I get it right More often when it's just My encounters with God that are my source of motivation. You know, getting up in the morning and going to work for a good solid paycheck and being smart so you can provide well for your family, all of those things are great. But you know what happens if money becomes your motivator. Scripture tells us that you can't have two masters. And eventually you wind up serving one over the other. It's. We all get there We have to continually Check back What's the voice of God saying in my life This is not Listen hey it's, Abraham wasn't an American He wasn't looking for the American dream He wasn't He had an encounter with God he wanted to follow the plan that God had for his life. In some case, you might say it might have been easier. You could say maybe he had less distractions. He didn't have scholarship options on the table. He wasn't worried about whether or not he could make it in the NFL. Maybe. Maybe. I like to think that God is fair and just And that the problems that Abraham faced And the challenges and the temptations That Abraham faced were every bit as enticing As the ones that you and I do And don't hear me I'm not saying the NFL is evil Okay, The Browns are great Except for when they play the Patriots And then I don't know See the encounter that Abraham has with God. It couldn't have been this mundane little let's just go to second service on Sunday morning. Let's sing a few songs and let's go to lunch and hold it together. All good things by the way. We're really better off when we come to the house of God with one another expecting God's going to do amazing things in our hearts. And in the lives and in the hearts and minds of the people that we're sitting in the aisle with. His encounter with God became his greatest source of motivation. Couldn't have been just simple, some mundane moment that he had with God that motivated him in the face of adversity and the time of waiting that he would have to go through. You see, it's not just any promise, it was a promise from God. He understood that his calling would not just benefit himself, and hear me now, it would cause blessing. For many others as well. For generations to come. You see. That's the reality. and a real telltale. If you want to vet. When you think God is speaking to you. Maybe a good question to first ask is. Who does this serve first? Who does this serve first? Scripture tells us. That Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. So if we are to be Christ-like, we've got to ask ourselves the questions in the things that we are doing as people on this earth right now, who and what are the things that we're doing serving? He gave Abraham this knowing and this understanding, hey, you're going to inherit something. But a real key to it is, it's going to be a blessing for generations, for many others. And Abraham probably didn't really fully understand exactly what all of this entailed or meant. See, this is what it means when Jesus encourages us to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be Added unto us And a lot of people break down all the time Well, What are all of these things What are all of these things Well In Abraham's life He's 75 years old He probably had a few things by now Abraham became a vagabond Living on a prayer It was probably one of his favorite songs By Bon Jovi by the way Some of you realists are like, Bon Jovi wasn't around then. Maybe it was, I'm a cowboy. No, it wasn't that one either. 75 years old. I don't know if it was any easier for him than it is me at 45. Or am I 46 now? 46. 46. Ah, well. 45 was a little more impressive 46 doesn't mean a whole lot 47 will be cool Because that's one of my very good friend's favorite numbers I'm not really anticipating getting there I'm just saying it's going to be cool I'm going to text him I'm 47 like, Some of you are like Look at this young buck Abraham became a vagabond Living on a prayer The promise of being the father of many nations None of which became his before he died <laughs> Abraham's permanent dwelling place in Canaan Was a temporary tent Feels like me right now If you know my story You know where that reference comes from So what are the, these things Since God is the one who never changes The these things was back then too These things for Abraham became the unique encounters That he would have with God throughout his life And a promise that would bless generations Those were the these things Follow me and here's what will happen It's better than that by the way We're going to find out why Quick question If that was the deal God were making with you and I today Would you take him up on it? Follow me And after you die, the thing I ask you to do will actually have its best result. Oh, there's going to be some good things that happen in your life, but the best of things, which you probably don't even really know what it means, will happen then. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I'm taking that deal all day long? Nobody here, not one. I don't blame you. The reality of this is tough, the truth of it is tough. Go to a place, I'll let you know when you get there. Come on, guys, faith. As ascribed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness because of his faith. Now, this includes obedience rooted in a willingness to trust. N.T. Wright says this, Faith here is not a general religious attitude to life. It's not simply believing difficult or impossible things for the sake of it, as though simple credulity was itself a virtue. The faith in question, as becomes increasingly clear through the chapter, this one that we're reading, is the faith... Which hears and believes the promise of God The assured word from the world's creator That he is also the world's redeemer And that through the strange fortunes of Abraham's family He is working to build The city which is to come That's what he's calling Abraham to Probably way Over Abraham's head Thomas Chisholm was a 20th century hymn writer Known specifically for Great is thy faithfulness And in a letter Chisholm writes My income has not been large at any time Due to impaired health in the earlier years Which has followed me on until now Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Great is thy faithfulness. You know that one. Abraham allowed for God to work in and through him because he trusted God's faithfulness. He, he fumbled Really badly from time to time The start of the story Oftentimes as it is with us Is way more inspiring And and innocent if you will And filled with faith And I'm going to do it But somewhere along the line Something happens Something difficult takes place Something rattles us And we begin to Question We begin to Take things into our own hands, we begin to pretend maybe that we know somewhat better than 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 God. There's a distance thing that feels like it happens, and that small still voice seems to fade in our wave of success. Genesis Spells out for us later on in the chapter That there's a famine in the land And Abraham Decides to tell his wife Hey listen man Things aren't looking too good around here I mean we're, we're doing sort of okay But the reality is Is there's a food shortage And you know how those things go. People get all like, ooh, crazy, and they put a run on toilet paper at Walmart, and it gets rough. So, I think what we should do—I mean, I know ultimately God's taken us to this great, this great destiny, but right now we need to take care of business. We're going to go back to Egypt Just just for maybe a little bit I I don't know how long this is going to be But the reality is is Sarah, I married you Because one, you're really good looking Two, you are so intelligent But if he knows If Pharaoh knows that you're my wife I probably won't get an audience with him I may not be able to deal with him And this is what we really need to be able to do right now Because life's rough Go see the big man back in Egypt Work a few deals Just tell him that you're my sister He'll like you Trust me Most would Can we see this for what it really is guys Abraham Not sorta kinda does He absolutely puts his wife out To Another guy So that he can gain an audience To make deals So that their lives will be spared But that's not Exactly what it says It says that he did it so his life Would be spared He sort of figured Well if Pharaoh likes you he'll take you to be his wife And you'll be safe it'll be cool it'll be good I don't know how Abraham imagined That this whole thing would like end Like, what happens after? Oh, that's a little bit like life, isn't it? We take matters into our own hands and we make a bonehead decision, hot in the moment about what we need to be doing, not thinking at all about the consequence. Maybe Abraham got a little over his head in the simple fact that his wife decides to follow them to a place that he doesn't know where they're going and he thinks she's just gonna jump on this train too. Well, the scripture tells us that he basically winds up trading his wife so that he can get some sheep, some camels, and some donkeys, and some other servants. Guys, the next time that your wife is having trouble trusting you, you can blame Abraham. Like, really? Really? That's not paying her much of a compliment. Hey, you know, (laughs) it'd be really cool if I could trade you for a cool sheep. Listen, I am just, yes, I know I'm making a joke, but the scriptures, verses 10 through 20, it's just what it tells me. It tells me we lack faith sometimes, we lack trust in God, and we make decisions that are just not in the interest of God's purpose for our life. And there's, there's no mistaking why God makes and allows us to be able to see these huge, just, I can't even like, what? Mistakes of people in the Bible. Most of us in this room would never do anything like what Abraham just does here. We wouldn't even think of it. First of all, your wife would kill you guys. Second of all, You probably wouldn't have got her to leave in the first place. True? (laughs) Genesis chapter 12, verse 5 through 7. Where are we going here? We're retracing. I want to retrace because there's four things, four areas, four places, one act— that I believe can help you and I begin to more wholly answer this question in our own life of what would you do? You see, I realized as a young person, when I asked the question, what would you do? What would you do? You see your life, you see it in this picture of, I've got my whole life ahead of me. And so this question feels exciting to me. I'm excited about this idea. But it's important that those of us that are a little more seasoned in life realize that we're not telling a story about a 20-somethings who just graduated college. We're talking about a dude who's 75. It's important that we say, well, like in Bible times, that wasn't that old. Well, Well, then why does scripture tell me he's 75? Just to put that in there? I don't think so. I think God knew that in 2023, 75 would be about the time where you pack it up. You get all your things in order because the pine box isn't far from your sight. So you pretty much decide life's close to over. No need in like asking this question, what would I do? I've done that. But that's not the God you serve. It's not the one that you signed up with. It's not the one that I've signed up with. God wants us to continually ask ourselves this question, no matter where you are in your journey with him, what would I do if I knew God was with me? And can I tell you, unequivocally, God is with you. God is for you, come on. You need to take that to the bank. And when you get there, there's going to be some things that you're going to get an opportunity to do. Chapter 12, verses 5 through 7 says this. It says, And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, brother's son, and all their possessions that they had, and gathered the people that he acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, To the oak of Moray Gotta slow down, take a breath here At the time the Canaanites were in the land It's the first place of fear I think may have entered into Abraham's heart Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said To your offspring I will give this land And so he built an altar to the Lord Who had appeared to him Okay, what do we say in here? Well, the first encounter that Abraham has with God He doesn't build an altar He doesn't take a pause and think about it He immediately jumps on the train and goes Here, he stops, take a pause God speaking to him, shows up to him We don't know if it's just like the first time But it's a time And then, what's he do? Builds an altar Something shifting and changing in Abraham's Maybe heart He's seen some faithfulness of God He builds an altar. Scripture starts to lay out for us this pattern here that had begun to develop and shape Abraham's life. And God calls Abraham and he immediately obeys God. He takes his family, his friends, his possession. He goes where God tells him. And then the Lord appears to him again, like I said. And in the first appearance, we don't see that he built an altar. But in this case, we do. Why is this significant? Well, he's recognizing the promise The promise continues. The promise is there. I'm going to build an altar. God's made me a promise. My wife didn't make me a promise. My dad didn't make me a promise. Lot surely didn't make me a promise. God made me a promise. For that, I'm going to build an altar. Is there something of significance for them in this time to building altars? Absolutely. It said to the whole of people that was around, I'm for this God. He called me. The semblance of it these days is no different. You build an altar in your life. You take a stand and you say, you know what? God's promise is yes and amen to me. I'm going to move forward in it. It doesn't look like it should right now. It isn't fully developed. The plan isn't all in place. Hey, it might not even be all done until after I'm dead. But guess what? God's promise is sure and it's true. And for that, I will worship him. For that, I will praise him. Builds an altar of a promise. You see, the truth is is that no, it's no different for you and I. And when we walk in faith leaning on the unchanging, never-failing character of God, we will see him show up time and time again. And the Bible tells us that this promise is sure. You can take it to the bank. And when you get to the bank, build an altar. Don't forget that part When it's time to cash in the goodness of God Build an altar Not because he needs it but Because we do We need a constant reminder It's him that called us Not to go back to Egypt But to move forward Let's keep going Chapter 12 verse 8 Says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. I stop and I look at this circumstance. He goes, he's built an altar, God's call, and he keeps moving forward. And here, again, he builds an altar. What's this about? And he calls upon the name of the Lord. There's constant communication that's happening in the heart of Abraham in connection with God. We don't know exactly what Abraham's relationship with God looked like before this call comes to him. When they're hanging out after his dad dies. But there's a progression of altar building. And calling out to the Lord. That appears to be happening here. There's a definite pattern. That scripture is laying out for us. Not for nothing. It's to help you and I. It's to show us. This is a pattern that's sustainable in our life. This is one that if we put into practice It can help us Because it's not that there will not be issues There will be There will be difficulties You're going to need altar time We're going to need to know what it is To be able to call upon the name of the Lord You know you get people all the time "Well, I'm just not that kind of a person I'm not this and that man I'm going to tell you what Don't tell me who you are Until you get in that place Where you've never been You find a whole new meaning to what it looks like to call out on the name of the Lord. And you know in your heart of hearts, man, you need a new place of intimacy, a deeper place of desire with your relationship with Jesus. There's no better place to be when you know that all you have is God. It's certainly not a humanly comfortable place to be, but it is the best place for us to be. There's nothing better for the human soul in life than to know that you are walking in and with your creator and the call he has for your life. There's nothing better. You've seen it. I've seen it. Man, people, they rise up from the ashes. They come up from this place here where their life was just a shattered mess. They had no direction at all. And they enter into a real covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and things begin to take place. Their heart and mind begins to transform. They no longer think the way that they used to. They suddenly know they're a child of God and they begin to believe that God calls them to do incredible miraculous things. And I'm going to tell you, your story started the same way your story started the same way there was a time you didn't have a relationship with God you might have been four or five some of us were much older we're slower to the uptake but it's the truth The miraculous call of faith and trust that God has placed on even what seems to be those who have held it their entire life versus the ones who got it wrong in their 20s and in their 30s and in their 40s and finally somewhere around the grave they decide to wake up. It's no different in God's eyes. (laughs) Abraham's status is unchanged with regards to a comfortable life. He's literally living in a tent, yet his response is worship. He again builds an altar as he calls upon the name of the Lord, and as I said, this is where we find this altar of intimacy, and we need a closeness with the Lord. You know what I'm talking about. That place many of us have been before when all we had was simple faith. Just longing for a fresh encounter with Jesus. And and that was more than enough. You didn't need the right song. You didn't need the right place in the pew. You didn't need any of that, man. You just needed a place to come with the saints and to believe God's working and moving. And he's going to use you. He's going to work in your heart and he's going to change things. And it's going to give you a platform in order to be able to effectively and positively be a light in this world. Pessimism has no place in the heart of the people of God. You serve the creator of the universe, the one who holds the whole world in his hands. He's a problem solver. You come to him with your issues and your things and he says, okay, I see you. Let's do this. Remember when we didn't used to complicate it with religiosity and traditions and preferences? You remember that day? I love that day. When the altars were all messy. Messy. And you were like oh my gosh I don't, even, I don't even care no more God you just do whatever you want to do Oh I'm sorry did I get some of that you, don't, you, you know what I'm talking about Was that not the best place Of your life Don't you want a taste Of that intimacy again and again And again and again Can I tell you That's not just an experiential thing that happens on a one-time whim. No, don't get it twisted. Abraham's pattern here shows us that this is something that the people of God who are seeking to walk in faith and trust in him need to have access to on the daily. To say some of us need to build back that altar of intimacy. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not that far away. Just ask Just ask God I need your presence so rich in my life You might have to say it two or three times So you catch up to believing it But I'm telling you he's coming In case you're beginning to think Maybe that this message somehow Is a is a An explanation of how Maybe great Abraham was I'm probably not doing a great job at that But the reality is, is Can we just know that That's not the case Every Example Of people that you see in scripture Is not about how great they were I really wish they wouldn't have taught me In Sunday school that Abraham was so amazing And Sarah, wow, she must have been great And all these people, yeah, counted God already gave them all the glory That they're due, I don't need to What I need to see is where Jesus was In the mix of this Where's God showing up Abraham's not Helping to save my soul or my family Or my kids lives or any of that but God is Where's God in this? I got to find him I got to find him here Abraham We're going to put that idea on pause He was living in a tent And that doesn't mean that God wasn't still blessing his life in other ways Scripture tells us that Abraham was really rich, right? Yet in verse 10 we find where Abraham struggles There's a famine in the land And he decides that it's time Remember this whole scenario? Puts Sarah out there Struggles Comes back Builds these altars. His story is way more about how faithful and trustworthy God is. Let's look at here. Verse 17 through 20. Worship team, if you would begin to come here. Hang on with me, guys, just for a little bit. Just for a little longer. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house in great plagues of Sarah, Abraham's wife, And so Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And he wraps up and he says, and Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is what tells us that this doesn't have anything to do with how great Abraham is. This is everything to do with how awesome and faithful and trustworthy God is. Because Abraham totally screws up the whole thing. He does something completely despicable. Beyond despicable And all of us would agree That's the case But God doesn't stop using Abraham It's crazy It's almost as if God treats this As like this little blip Like eh Not a big deal We would never do that Abraham would never be able to preach In a church ever again True. I mean, I don't know what it is about that God decides to just keep Abraham on the roll and keep moving him forward. There must have been some repentance, something that must have occurred, must have been an altar that was built. But it's the grace of God that sees Abraham through and it's the same grace that sees you and I through. Abraham builds an altar of no return. Abraham says, you're right, God, that was a real bad move. He goes back. He goes back to the place scripture tells us of where it all began, where he originally built an altar is essentially what the scripture tells us, where he built an altar first. And he, guess what he does? He builds again an altar and he calls out to the Lord. And it's this, it's this altar of no return. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Egypt's not where I belong. It's not what God's called me to. I have been called to move forward. There's a promise on my life. I've jacked some things up, but it's not the end of my story. God is with me. He is for me. He's not against me. And guess what? He's already told me that for those that bless me, he's going to bless them for those that don't. Well, bad on them. It's time to get back up, go back where I'm supposed to be, continue to do what God called me to do. People just going to have to get over themselves. Hmm. Over the next several verses in chapter 13, we see the conclusion as part of Abraham's story. As him and his nephew, Lot, they split up and they go take different parts of the land. And there's this amazing part in chapter 13, verse 14 and 17. And it says that the Lord said to Abraham after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward and southward and eastward and westward For all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth So that if one can count the dust of the earth your offspring also can be uh, counted Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give to you And so Abraham moved his tent (laughs) He came and he settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at the Hebron, and there he built, you guessed it, another altar. Stand with me this morning. This morning you have communion cups that I hope you were able to grab when you came in here this morning. We're going to do this a little bit unconventionally, so just uh, just know that. You see here, what is this altar that Abraham builds? We got the altar, the promise, the altar of intimacy, the altar of no return. But something real important that helps us so much in our life is we choose to walk in faith and trust in God. It's the altar of possession. You see, when you and I lay it down and we know that we know that it doesn't matter all of the things It's all about Jesus. It's all God's anyways. My ability to earn, my ability to do whatever, the gifts, the faith, the trust, the grace. It all belongs to God. I can build an altar and say, you know what? I'm yours, God. I'm yours and everything I have is yours. And without you, none of it exists anyhow. And we hold the things in this life loosely and we grab on to the presence of God. That's what helps us to walk in faith. That's what helps us to ultimately trust God. See, our lack of faith and trust in God isn't about God. It's what we know we're capable and incapable of doing. And we tend to judge God and his abilities based on our ability. And this morning, I just wanna leave communion to be guided by the Holy Spirit between you and him. An opportunity to build yet another altar. And maybe you have a new one, and I'd love it if you'd send me an email this week and say, the Lord called me to build this altar. But that's how we're gonna do it this morning as the worship team leads us for the remainder of this service. And I want you to just take this opportunity to have that communion with God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in your heart. Have a real moment with him. Build an altar, would you? Thank him for his grace and his blood and his mercy and the bread of his, position, or his provision in your life. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.